Today, I, I really do want to talk with you about spiritual transformation as it's laid out in this text. I am, I'm overwhelmed by the truths I see in it. And before we get there, though, I, I want to contrast the thinking of this world apart from the gospel, and we will see then the truth of the gospel. So I, I pulled off some, some statements from the internet about transformation as the world sees transformation. So here they are, every one of them, in my view and opinion, is contradictory to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here they are. You probably hear them from time to time. Here's the first one. If you want to awaken all humanity, then awaken all of yourself. If you want to eliminate the suffering in the world, then eliminate all that is negative in yourself. Truly, the greatest gift you have to give is that of your own self-transformation. Think about that a bit. Sounds good. But when you put it against the light of the gospel, oh my gosh, and I have five mores. (laughs) Uh, Listen to this one. By thinking big, we can transform the world. Think about that. It's not bad to think good, big, but, but we can't change the world with that. Life and death are illusions, this guy says. We are in a constant state of transformation. It is not about being perfect it's about effort and when you bring that effort every single day that's when transformation happens that's how change occurs think about that our whole spiritual transformation this is my favorite our whole spiritual transformation brings us to the point where we realize then in our own being we are enough today we're going to talk about spiritual blindness as well as the redemptive, powerful truths of the gospel. And I just want you to kind of keep these in the back of your mind because we're going to see what happens when a human being was blind and now can see and what happened in his life as a result of that. But think about your own life before we get down to that path. You know, do you uh, see yourselves as being able to make yourself better, good, Uh, even perfect, that you can change the world by changing yourself. You know, I grew up uh, totally spiritually blind. I got a lot of education. Uh, You know, I never worked out like Alex, but I am declining physically, and I don't know how to stop that. I don't think I can. But the reality is I have nine years of college that I don't even use anymore. So all this stuff about building yourself up doesn't always work, and it didn't certainly work for me, but it led me to the place where I found Jesus, so I'm grateful for that. But let's just think today deeply about this reality of supernatural spiritual transformation. Just a, just a brief review to set the stage again. Remember, uh, as we ended last week, the Jews that were uh, trying to condemn Jesus as a, as a sinner and, and uh, literally turn away from his teaching and, and his miracles uh, engaged the parents of this blind man to see if if in some way they could discredit what happened to him. So this is the the passage in verse 20 through 24. We'll draw back your memory to this. His parents answered that they'd been called before the Pharisees. We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this, this is an interjection by John. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus 
to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. I want you to remember through this passage, the Jews that are seeking to stand against Jesus are spiritually blind people. And we'll talk more about that as we get there. But they're continuing to try to reach out and discredit Jesus in any way they can and to, to discredit this miracle. So they call the parents in to find out if this man who was healed was actually their son and if he was congenitally blind. And then their second great question was, how did this transformation take place? So those were the questions. All the parents could do is affirm, one, that he was their son, and two, that he was congenitally blind at birth. How he came to be transformed, they would not answer. I don't know if they knew or not, but they refused to answer that question uh, because we see the threat that was over their heads. Uh, In verse 22, his parents said these things. Go talk to him. We don't want to get involved. We don't want to give you what we think might have happened. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone would confess Jesus as Christ, they would be put out of the synagogue. Literally, what they would experience is what we call excommunication. And back in that culture, as is true in some places in our day, excommunication literally means you are shut out, from the church, from any access or relationship with God and or his people. Think back in ancient Israel what this would mean for this couple. We know they weren't wealthy because their son begged. They didn't even have enough money to support him. They would be cut off socially, religiously, and and, uh, relationally from all the people who they lived around. And so they were fearful. I understand that. Uh, I don't agree that they should have done that, but I understand it. So let's dive now into this spiritual transformation that we see unfolding in this blind man's life as he begins to uh, respond to these men after his call for a second time to give testimony. Verse 24 says, So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner, meaning Jesus. He answered, Whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? The blind man responded to them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. They begin by putting this guy under oath, much as we would in a court today. When, when you go to court and you have to put your hand on a Bible and swear to tell the truth, it's sort of what they were doing. This goes clear back to Achan's sin when they took Jericho. When Joshua came to him, he said these very words, My son, speaking to Achan, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. So it was a way to extract the truth in the presence of God and to give honor and glory to God. And and we know Achan did that. And we also see that they put this blind man or this man who had been blind under that same oath and ask him to testify before God uh, for the honor and glory of God, what actually happened. And literally, they uh, were backhandedly accusing the man of not being honest with him before because he'd already given testimony about that. 
I, I want to take a point here or, or, or make a point here from this point forward in this text what we see is an ordinary individual who is extraordinarily transformed by the power of God and the Spirit of God. God gave him strength to stand, power to stand before these religious leaders. We'll talk a bit more about that. To stand his ground and to bear up his, uh, in his testimony concerning what Christ had done for him. So let's look at two things that happen in this section of Scripture. The first is the testimony that he gives. Listen to these words. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And I got to tell you, the, the, the credibility and the power of that testimony is off the chart. Remember, this is a guy who sat and begged for his daily bread, and now he was up walking around, engaging with these people, coming where they wanted him to come, and giving testimony to them. And, and I just love the confidence and the power with which he says these things. I once was blind, and now I see. And I want all of you to remember that once you were blind, and now you too can see. So just treasure this journey that we see in this passage. It's so profound. And, and it is a testimony to the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God bringing, bringing regeneration and spiritual hunger to people as he did to this man. And even sustaining him in times of trial. This is hard questioning. This man was illiterate. I, I, I don't know what he could have known. I mean, he was blind from birth. He, didn't, he wasn't educated. He wasn't schooled. He couldn't read. He couldn't write. He couldn't do anything of the things you and I do. But yet here he is before the religious leaders of his day. Imagine them in their flowing robes, in their place of prestige, and he's standing before them giving this kind of testimony. And they're totally, as we will see, spiritually blind. They go on and ask a second question. What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And, and what we see this time is an emboldened heart that tells them and, and, and really engages with them and, and calls them to account because he says to them, I already told you what he did to me. Do you want to hear it again? Uh, you know, he, he's literally throwing it back in their face in boldness and power uh, of the Spirit of God. Uh, and, and he asks, why do you want to hear it again? And then I love what he says. This is classic. Do you also want to become his disciples? Saying this to these spiritually blind men is just uh, incredible. And the, the power and the work of God in him is so amazing. And just remember the situation, the scenario of this man. Uh, he should have been fearful, but he wasn't. He shouldn't have been bold, but he was. All of this is the work of God in him through this transforming power of the Spirit to give him blindness, or excuse me, to remove his blindness and give him this uh, spiritual power. And notice, as a result of this, they, uh, they discredit Jesus again. They, they talk about this man surely was a sinner. They continue in their spiritual unbelief. So anyway, we've seen some of his initial transformation through this testimony that he gives about what happened in his life. Now I want us to engage in the next few verses as he talks about uh, 
what's happened in a spiritually, uh, uh, a spiritual way to almost give an apologetic or defense for what's going on in his life. So join me in verse 30. The man answered, and listen to these next four verses. These, in my view, are some of the most incredibly profound, profound verses in all of Scripture spoken by a human being, illuminated and empowered by the Spirit of God. Listen to his words. The man answered, Why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone Open the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could not do anything or he could do nothing. And of course, these blind spiritual leaders of Israel answered him, you were born in utter sin and would you teach us? And they cast him out. I want to look at the four things that Jesus says here. The the very first one, I, I want you to just grasp the boldness of how he interacts with these leaders. And, and how he shreds them with verbal words given by the Spirit of God to him. We see his boldness. Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. Think about it. These men are so blind, they cannot see the, the testimony and the power of God transforming and changing this man's life. He's literally saying to them, it's almost more uh, miraculous that you can't understand what's happened to me than the very fact that I was blind and now I see. How could you be so blind as to ignore the evidence given to you by my healing? He's emphatic when he speaks to them. You, you religious experts, how can you not figure out something as simple as this? I was blind, now I see. That's not hard. They'd seen him. Other people had seen him. All around the town, he was known as a blind beggar, and yet now he is with them, telling them of his experience and literally confronting them with their own unbelief by the power of God. Secondly, he says in verse 31, We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Remember their argument toward Jesus again and again was that he's a sinner because he did this on the Sabbath. And so the Jews wanted to make hay out of that. They wanted to point the finger at him and destroy Jesus' credibility. This blind man, this restored or physically healed blind man says, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners. How could anyone worship God and, does, and do his will and God not listen to him? How could you suggest that he's a sinner and he couldn't accomplish this miracle? You know, he, he's, and how he knew this, I don't know. Having been blind, we, we don't know what kind of spiritual education he got. But back in Psalm 66, 18, it says these words. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. This is a truth, an ancient truth, that God doesn't listen to sinners. And yet Jesus was able to give this man sight. The third thing he says in verse 32, Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone 
open the eyes of a man born blind. What he's saying here is, what I've witnessed, what I've experienced, what you've seen in me is unheard of. It is a supernatural thing, an event that has never, ever happened in all time and all history. Think about that. I'm going to use a little of that education just for a moment that I got to talk with you about an eye. You've all been to the eye doctor, I'm sure, and you've seen this picture of an eye sliced in half on the wall. You know, there's a lens, a cornea lens, and then there's a retina in the back, and then there's nerves. And Just think for a minute with me. When God healed this man, and I don't know what his congenital eye looked like, but it wasn't functional. Uh, it was unable. Uh, it was unable to do what eyes do. Somehow, Jesus. I don't know if it was the cornea and the lens that were restored. I don't know if it was the retina that was restored. I don't know if it was the optic nerve that was restored, or maybe all of it. But understand what happens in an eye. You have a lens and a cornea. When that light and image comes into your eye, it's cast on your retina. It's transferred miraculously almost by the retina to the optic nerve and to your brain, and you see images. That's pretty incredible. This man had never done that, ever. And instantly, Jesus Christ healed him. Restored the functionality of his eye. Restored the nervous capacity of his optic nerve to function and perhaps restored all of the things in his brain that enabled him to see images. I don't think anybody had to point to him and say, uh, that's a dog or that's the temple. I think in his healing, it was instant, complete, and total. That is power. That is the power of the living God who we're here to worship today. And just as that man was spiritually blind, we have been given spiritual sight as he has. So just think of that. Never, ever happened. And, and then his fourth point. <laughs> we see incredibly belief in this man. If this man were not from God, he could do Nothing. Think of it. Only God does this kind of stuff. Only God heals blind people. This man had experienced that in totality, in, in the majesty and wonder of the creative act of God bringing sight into his life. And he was transformed by that. He still thought Jesus was a prophet. We're going to see in a bit uh, what happens next in this passage. But just... Just understand his arguments. His discussion with this uh, these Jews was uncontestable. They couldn't argue back. We don't see him saying anything other than, than uh, depicting him as a sinner himself. <laughs> That's not an argument of what he's just told them. It's just to discredit him and to malign him. And that's all they could do. He had totally decimated them but yet they continue to walk in spiritual blindness. I want you to see the power of God in his healing, but I also want you to not miss the power of God in this man's transformed life. Pretty, pretty amazing, pretty wonderful. And hey, we have all been changed in that same way, maybe without the physical healing, but with the spiritual transformation that this man had. So understand the power of God working 
in the healing, but also the power of God working in this man to understand and give testimony and to literally argue with his opponents about what happened in his life. It is just hugely significant, I think. And unfortunately, his argument with these religious leaders fell on deaf ears because these men genuinely were spiritually blind. We'll talk about that in a bit. So they answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And so they cast him out because they deemed him a follower of Jesus. For his testimony, his boldness, his confrontation with them, he lost any right to being a member of Israel. And he did it gladly to give glory to God. Wow. Let's move on now and to see what Jesus does as a result of this. In verse 35, it says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Literally, he fell down before Jesus. The word here for worship isn't reverence. It isn't honor. It's worship. It's to prostrate yourself before the living God. And that's what he did. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and that those who may see become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, You, excuse me, are you also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. Understand here Jesus' response to this event and, and what happened to this man. And I want us to take courage in this. As we boldly serve and testify and reach out with the gospel of Christ, I want you to know Jesus is with us as he was with this man. These guys didn't intimidate this man. He was emboldened in this confrontation with them because he had the power of the Spirit and the Word of God behind him. Understand this, if any, man's, if any Christian man's witness separates him from men, it will draw him closer to Christ. Listen to the words of Matthew 10, 20, 32 through 33. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus is always true to those who are true to him. Build your life on that. Build your life on that truth. What we see happening as Jesus interacts with this men is first an invitation. You've heard that word all of your life in the church. It is an invitation to, to faith, to belief. And, and Jesus just says, do you believe in the Son of Man? It was a profound question, and it it begs for a response. Do you believe? And I got to tell you, every one of us here who is a genuine follower of Jesus has either answered that question and said, yes, Lord, I believe. Or you are at a place where you need to answer that question because if Jesus were here, he would ask that same question of all of us today. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And this man still not sure who Jesus was. Remember, I don't think he'd ever seen Jesus because 
when the mud was put on, he was sent to the pool of Siloam, and, and Jesus was gone by the time he got back. So I don't know that physically he ever saw Jesus until this very moment. Don't know. The reality is he heard the invitation to believe. He probably understood the voice, understood and heard uh, that voice was familiar to him. And what was his response? His response was to believe. When the man asked the Son of Man, he asked this. Literally in the text, uh, he, he says, uh, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He was hungry. He knew that his life had been changed by this interaction with Jesus. And he wanted to understand more about him. To date, all we know for sure is that he believed he was a prophet. And Jesus tells him very plainly, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. These words, knowing what Jesus had done in his life, and that he who is speaking to you is him, you've seen him. <laughs> Understand what happened in this man's life. He was physically transformed from physical blindness, and he was also spiritually transformed from spiritual blindness to spiritual light and insight two ways this man's life was changed and, and we haven't to my knowledge many of us have been transformed from physical blindness but all of us if we're followers of Jesus have been transformed spiritually from spiritual blindness to spiritual light so he entered into that he understood that he took the step to recognize and to put his faith in Jesus and we see that he, his belief there was invitation, there was understanding, and then there was belief. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. He fell down before Jesus and worshiped him. That's all the response Jesus needed. And that's what we're all called to do. Jesus changes our life forever. This was a divine, divine point of great change in this man's life from unbelief to belief from spiritual blindness to spiritual light. And so we see that unfold, and, and it's just amazing, it, the, the, the transformation of this man from asking the question, who is he, sir, to Lord, I believe. What a powerful testimony from this man. And then what I love best is he's already a disciple. He's out telling people about Jesus. His, uh, his, his whole life now had become an instrument in the hands of Jesus to confront the religious leaders of his day. You know, there's just things in the Bible I wish there was more. I wonder what happened to this guy with the rest of his life. How many people ask him what happened in his life who were genuinely seeking and longing and hungry for spiritual truth? We don't know, but maybe one day we will, that this guy was a phenomenal disciple and and, and servant of the Lord, and many people came to faith because of him. We don't know. But anyway, that's what's before us here. Jesus, understand this. Jesus is the dividing line. Those who see by the wisdom of this world in reality fall under the judgment, for they are spiritually blind. But those who see spiritually, who acknowledge that Jesus is the light of the world, will find life in him. He is the pivot on which all Listen to this. He is the pivot on which all human destiny turns. There isn't anything else. 
you could go find a thousand statements about transformation on the internet. The ones I pulled out came of a list of 200, and there were many more lists, all blind to the truth and the power of the gospel. And we see that unfolded here. As we wrap up, I just want to just mention a couple of other things. It says that uh, for judgment I came into this world, in verse 39, Jesus says this, that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. This is a little bit of a perplexing verse because we know Jesus didn't come to bring condemnation into the world. He says that in John 3:17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved. So Jesus' mission is salvation. His life is to bring the light of God to the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever believes in me will never walk in darkness. That's the promise and the truth we have. But to these, these Jews who were blind spiritually, for a multitude of reasons, many of which were their own view and interpretation and resilience to being taught, they thought they knew it all. They thought they believed it all. They thought it, they had it all together. We still run into people like them today. They refuse to consider the evidence of Jesus Christ, who he claimed to be, what he claimed to do, why he claimed to come. And whenever people reject Jesus, they find themselves living under condemnation. And so that's what's in view here. It's not, not a confusing uh, change in what Jesus came to do or say. It's just the fact that that's what happens when people who are spiritually blind are continue to walk in blindness and will not turn to Jesus. You know, I just want to give you a couple of ex examples of that because I want us to understand spiritual blindness is not the end of any possibility of coming to faith. One of the greatest examples of the Bible is the Apostle Paul. Paul was as spiritually blind as a man could be until he met Jesus Christ on the road of Damascus. And his life was forever changed. For 30 years of my life, I was as spiritually blind as a human being could be. Any and everything in the world caught my attention and affection, and I pursued it with all that I had until I met Jesus Christ. And my life has forever, ever been changed. I trust and pray to God that you've all experienced that, that you in every way have had spiritual blindness removed from your life. Here's, here's one way to think about it. I, I copied this. I didn't write it. But it's interesting to think about. The reason for our Lord, Lord's coming was salvation. But the result of his coming was condemnation of those who would not believe. The same sun that brings beauty out of the seeds, and we're planting them all over our yard and, and garden, and they're growing, praise God for that. The same sun that brings beauty out of the seeds also exposes the vermin hiding under the rocks. Spiritual blindness in a large measure is the choice of the person involved to believe, to be filled with pride, to be self-righteous, to look down on others, to be closed off to any other source of spiritual truth doesn't mean the God of this age Satan does not use that and compound that and keep them in that bondage until something happens like in my life that wholly shook my world so much 
that I had to find Jesus. I needed Jesus. I didn't know Jesus was there. But when my wife said, have you tried Jesus? I said, I'm all in. I got to do something different than I'm doing because my life was not working. And so my spiritual blindness was removed. So don't despair of people that are around you that may be spiritually blind. Just keep praying. Pray God will bring something into their life that will shake up their world like he did in mine. That's what we want to keep before us. This little quote goes on to say, The religious leaders were blind and would not admit it. Therefore, the light, the light of truth only made them blinder. The beggar admitted his need, and he received both physical and spiritual sight. No one is so blind as he who will not see, and no one who thinks he has all truth. And there is nothing more for him to learn. That's spiritual blindness, and we see that in these religious leaders. So as we wrap up this morning, I want us to consider three things. First, think about true supernatural spiritual transformation we see in this man and perhaps we've seen in our own lives. I want us to know the longer we experience this life in Jesus, the more confident we become in our knowledge of him. Just like we see this man boldly contesting with these Jews spiritual truth and they were blind. Understand that he, he was growing in this. He was growing from knowing or thinking, believing Jesus was a prophet and then that Jesus was his savior. First Peter says, or excuse me, Second Peter says it this way in 3.18. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. That's our call in life to continue to grow in Jesus and to grow in boldness to, to try to reach out to people who are spiritually blind. Don't waste your whole life after one person is spiritually blind. If, if they're not spiritually open, move on. Uh, I think that's a, a key key truth here is look for people that are spiritually open and maybe the same spiritual transformation that came to you or me could uh, come to them reflect on the power of God's word what we see is Jesus teaching this man and leading and guiding this man and changing this man as the light of the world the beggar was physically blind and spiritually blind yet both his eyes and his mind were open and it's because he listened to the word of God, the very words that Jesus spoke to him. He believed it, he obeyed it, and he experienced it. I want, I want this church to be so on fire for the word of God that we are like this blind man who became a seer of the Lord Jesus. That we're engaging people wherever we go in life and and. In, encouraging them to believe with grace and love and, and good speech. Find out where they're at spiritually. Are they open? Is there, is there anything going on in their life that might help take out that spiritual blindness maybe they've had to this point? I want us to live, live as this man uh, shows evidence that he's living. And understand, uh, there's still Pharisees out there. There's still people who are spiritually blind. We're going to encounter them. I've encountered them. I ask people from time to time, tell me about your spiritual journey. Do you have any interest? Nope. Boom. And my answer is next. Go find somebody that is open, somebody that will talk, somebody that is interested. And so we can't change people. We can pray for people. We can pray God will bring things into their lives that might change them. 
But what we can do is give glory and testimony to Jesus as we make this journey and as we find people that are open spiritually. Understand this as well. Spiritual blindness and darkness is the worst, most profoundly terrible place a human being can be. Their arrogance, their pride, their self-sufficiency, their total blindness puts them in a place that in many cases they're very difficult to reach, but not impossible. I ran across this a couple weeks ago just to give some perspective in this battle that we, that we are living in, in in this world. It seems like the spiritual darkness is growing all around us. But this is what the saying says. Satan deceived a third of the angels that were actually in the presence of God. So imagine the power he has over mere men that don't submit to the word of God. That is the battle we face. May we bring the word and the power and the truth and the spirit of God as he enables and empowers us to this community, to this city. There are many, many, many people here who need Jesus that are probably spiritually open. We just have to find them. So let's go find them. And we're going to do something at the end after Alex comes and leads us in worship to stand together and read the uh, 27th Psalm together. It's really just a revisiting what happened or a recountment of, of what happened in this passage. So, Alex. And then we'll pray.